Hey there, this is Brandon Inge, and you're listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. You're on the Road to Detroit, the podcast. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. Lucky number 13, it is episode 13. The RTD is back in full effect. Welcome, it's the Road to Detroit podcast. My name's Dan Hasty. Our producer is Nate Wangler. We've got a lot coming up on the show. Coming up on this edition of the RTD, we'll talk about a lot of the Toledo Mudhens in this edition of Road to Detroit because Daz Cameron is also there. He's a very important piece of what the Tigers are looking at going into the future. And we'll talk to their hitting coach, Mike Hessman. I'm pretty sure that if Mike Hessman tried to run for mayor in Toledo, he would take it home in a landslide. He is the all-time minor league baseball home run king. A lot of those came in Toledo. They even have the power alley in left field at fifth third field in Toledo named the Mike Hessman home run alley. So gives you an idea of what they think of Mike Hessman. He'll join us here on the road to Detroit. We'll talk about all the guys he's been working under because it hasn't just been the guys in Toledo. Mike Hessman has been in Toledo. He's been in Erie. He's been in West Michigan, Connecticut. He has been with all of these guys in the system. He's gotten as good a look at these positions player prospects as anybody and one guy who knows hitting is Mike Hessman. There's a reason he's moved up as far as he has. You know, we talk about players a lot moving up the minor league ladder, but coaches can do that too. We've talked to Mike Rebello on the road to Detroit. He's slowly moved his way up. He's now in double A. We'll talk to Mike Hessman, who has now started in Connecticut back in 2014. Here we are five years later, and he's the hitting coach in AAA Toledo. So we'll talk to Mike Hessman. Coming up in just a moment, we'll talk about Riley Green. Right now, we've got to talk about the Erie Seawolves because they are ramping up for a possible playoff run. Let's do that here on the on-ramp. You know, the Erie Seawolves have all these pieces, especially in their starting rotation. They just made the trade with Shane Green to Atlanta. They got Joey Wentz back. He has kind of made it a, what is it, a six-headed monster in their rotation. I mean, they have just about six outstanding Tigers prospects in that rotation alone. Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Alex Fiedo, Joey Wentz, Tarek Skubel, Anthony Castro. I mean, that's six top 30 prospects all in the rotation in Erie. There was an interesting story in the Detroit News talking about how Erie looks like they're going to stay together and try to make a run at an Eastern League title. It's this group that's been together the last couple of years in the minor league system. Mike Rebello, the manager, and a lot of these same guys who are with him right now have been with him since his time in Connecticut all the way back in 2014. From Connecticut to West Michigan to Lakeland, now to Erie. And all these guys are continuing to grow together. They're keeping that nucleus together. You know, we've read it on MLB Pipeline when the Tigers are ranked the number six overall farm system in the game. And they said there hasn't been this much talent in the system since the 70s. And that was when it was Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker, Lance Parrish, guys like that at that level. It was what they were doing in AA back in the 70s is exactly what Erie's doing right now. And there haven't been a lot of wins in some of the other levels of the system. But if you want to talk about the hope for what this could be going forward, everything lies at AA Erie. But the story in the Detroit News talked about innings limits, guys that might be inching up towards having to be shut down for the course of the regular season. You know, we look at some of these guys and look, to me, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think guys should be getting shut down for the rest of the season. And look, I get it. As much as you want these guys to make a run for an Eastern League title, the more important thing is how these guys look when they go to Detroit. 
Crazy enough, they're actually neck and neck to get the division crown in the second half. They only have a game and a half lead on the Bowie Bay Sox. And then after that, there's 13 games between the next place team. So right now it's a two-horse race to get the Eastern League's Western Division title. Either way, we're going to have a playoff team to watch in the Tigers minor league system. So nothing but good vibes out to the folks in Erie, PA. Let's move on. This week's edition of the on-ramp starts with West Michigan. Riley Green was promoted to the West Michigan Whitecaps last week, and he made his presence felt immediately. Here's the 2-2 pitch. Whalen swings. High fly ball. Right center field. Riley Green on the run. Reaches out. Dives. Onto the warning track. He makes a tremendous catch. Here's Riley Green. He's one for three. First pitch is swung on and drilled. Deep center field. Back goes Witherspoon at the warning track. He reaches up. He crashes into the wall. The ball is down for extra bases. Greens to third, they're going to wave him home. Here comes the relay throw from Ford Proctor. Not in time! It's an inside the park home run. Riley Green. Here's the 0-1. Swing, high fly ball, left center field. Riley Green on the run, he reaches out. He dies, he makes the catch! An unbelievable play in the left center field gap. Riley Green, he does it again. Oh my goodness. That voice sounds familiar. That's the West Michigan Whitecaps radio network. And get this, two of those highlights you just heard occurred in the same game within two consecutive innings. They ended up on ESPN Sports Center top 10 plays that very night. The catch came in at number three on the top 10. The inside the park home run came in at number four. How many times do you see the same player go back to back on a sports center top 10, especially a minor league player? Riley Green did it in his first night with a full season affiliated team. If you want to read a great piece on Riley Green, go check out the Detroit News. Matt Shook, who does an outstanding job covering the Tigers minor league teams. He put together a piece on Riley Green talking about what he's learned over the course of the last couple of months because it's been a whirlwind for him. He started in the Gulf Coast League, then Connecticut, then West Michigan. Just two months ago, Riley Green was playing high school baseball. I remember talking to one guy that played with Riley in Connecticut earlier this year, and we talked about this on the last edition of The Road to Detroit, but we asked him, he said, hey, give me one word that describes the talent level of Riley Green. And his response, Griffey, as in Ken Griffey Jr., it's a high bar to set, but the more we watch him play, and here's what people don't realize about Riley Green, and I kind of wish we knew this a little bit more on draft day. He's a very, very underrated defender. He covers a ton of ground. I mean, we saw him make a catch last Sunday that he started playing in right center field and then ended up on the left center field warning track to make a diving catch on a ball that was just barely off the turf. So Riley Green covers a lot more ground than you'd expect, and the reason he does that is because his instincts are so good. For an 18-year-old kid, he has a tremendous first step, and he covers more ground than you would ever expect a kid at his age, and especially with his lack of professional baseball experience. So he can field a lot better than we expected. If the bat is what we think it is, and I'm pretty sure that it is, you're talking about one of the better offensive center fielders that Major League Baseball could possibly see. Maybe give it a couple of years. As for the team itself, West Michigan lost two out of three at home to Bowling Green, then saw Lake County take two out of three from West Michigan. Also, Brian Packard. Brian Packard riding a... 
You know, and it actually sounds like that right now because he's riding a six-game hitting streak since returning from the DL. Five runs scored, a pair of RBIs in his third home run. Nobody thought Tarek Skubal would be the number four Tigers prospect right now if we were to have rewound a year ago. Brian Packard might be the new Tarek Skubal going forward. He still has a lot of work to do. you got to keep him healthy, got to keep that bat on point, but that bat can travel, and that thing can hit a ball a really long way. Fun player to watch. Return from the injured list, five runs scored, a pair of RBIs, his third home run. Brian Packard's been terrific in West Michigan. Over to Lakeland, the Flying Tigers lost two of three at Tampa before returning home. Then they took three out of four against Florida. So not a bad bounce back for the Flying Tigers. Ulrich Boyarski, who started in West Michigan, was their lone all-star representative. He hit 271 with the Whitecaps. 10 homers, 55 runs batted in, still just 20 years old. He got a promotion to Lakeland. Another guy who we loved in West Michigan, Johnny Valenti. Johnny V, three for eight with an RBI in his return to the Whitecaps. Then he got three hits in the first game of a series at Lake County. Then he got promoted up to Lakeland, went three for five with an RBI. Out to Erie. Erie lost two out of three at Portland before taking two of three against New Hampshire. We talked about Casey Mize. He's been roughed up pretty badly here in the second half. Joey Wentz, who joined us on the last edition of the RTD, he's thrown two really good games in AA with the Erie Seawolves. Five innings, two runs, four hits, nine strikeouts. And Matt Manning, wow, he had some kind of night in AA. Six innings, one unearned run, four hits, 10 strikeouts. He was named a top performer by the folks at MLB Pipeline. And Tarek Skubal, no big deal, just five more innings, no runs, one hit, 10 strikeouts. It almost feels like it's not even fair anymore. Just, we need to talk about this, okay? In double A right now, Tarek Skubal has thrown 29 innings. Our producer's Nate Wangler. Nate, how many strikeouts do you think Tarek Skubal has in 29 innings at double A? In 29 innings. Well, you, you assume, oh geez, I don't know, close to 50? 60. 60 strikeouts in 29 innings. That is more than two strikeouts per inning. I mean, you're not going to get guys home if you're getting struck out twice an inning. You're just not. You're not even putting the ball in play. Derek Scoople's the number four prospect. He's one of the most interesting guys in this entire system, and all he does is continue to dominate people. Meanwhile, Isaac Paredes continues to light it up. Eight hits, three runs batted in this past week, no strikeouts, and in Toledo. The Mudhens started to kind of pick things up this past week. They won four out of six on a homestand, two out of three against Buffalo. They beat Pawtucket twice as well. Cole Peterson got moved up. We were talking about him in Lakeland about a week ago. Then they gave him the bump to Toledo. He just celebrated his 24th birthday. I'll tell you what, to be one step away from the big leagues, that's not a bad 24th birthday present. He hit two. 284 with 23 stolen bases in Lakeland, and his defense is better than anything he's done at the plate or running the bases this year. So it goes to show how good that defense has been. Cole Peterson, he's now in AAA, and Willie Castro. Here's what he did this past week. Eight hits, four runs batted in, hit his seventh home run of the year. He's a guy who does everything. He can feel this position, still working to refine kind of the defensive side, but he can feel this position. He also can hit. He can run. He can hit for power. Extra base hits are all in there as well. He's an interesting player. It's always more fun when you're playing well. Willie Castro is exhibit A. And that right there is the on-ramp. It's now time for best in class of all the Tigers minor leaguers this week. This one made the most noise, and it's kind of amazing that this person has not taken home an edition of our Best in Class Award. This week, it's Matt Manning. Been a long time coming because the number two prospect in the Tigers system and the son of the former NBA center wins six innings of one-run ball, gave up an unearned run on just four hits. And how about this? 
We saw Matt Manning a couple of years ago when he was starting in Connecticut and in Class A. Command was a bit shaky. Well, in this game, how about zero walks, 10 strikeouts? He had gone a couple of games where he wasn't creating as many swings and misses, but his stuff has always been so overpowering. And he's so unique in the sense that he's six foot six and he's got this long leg drive to the plate. He essentially shortens the distance between the pitcher's mound and home plate as good or better than just about anybody in all of minor league baseball. We'll give you some year-to-date numbers on Manning. 10-4, and four, a 257 ERA. And let me just tell you, this is what I like about what Matt Manning is learning at this point in the season. He's thrown 119 innings this year, which is more than he's ever thrown at any level of the minor leagues. So they're kind of stretching him out. They're testing him a little bit. He's already over this year in innings than he was last year. He was 117 and two-thirds. Now he's 119 here this year. And we're talking about another month left in the regular season. There's also playoffs to take into consideration as well. But He's also learning how to get by if he doesn't have his A-grade stuff. And that's such an important part of player development. We've talked about this a couple of times on previous episodes of The Road to Detroit. You know, it's always good when you have all of your pitches working exactly the way you want them to. It's not how baseball works. Sometimes you go out and your fastball's there, your slider's not. Your curveball's there, but your fastball isn't. We talked about Casey Mize a couple of months ago when he threw his no-hitter and his first double-A start. He even admitted he didn't have command of his fastball. How do you get by without the command of a fastball and throw a no-hitter? That's a very important part of player development. And by the way, that's ridiculous. I don't know how anybody throws a no-hitter if they can't command their fastball. But so far in AA, Manning has answered every single call. Matt Manning is this week's best in class. Let's go to our honorable mention award brought to you by our good friend, Outfielder Dylan Rosa, who, by the way, got a promotion up to Erie. So congratulations to Dylan Rosa. All those honorable mentions finally added up to a promotion. (laughs) Our producer, Nate Wangler, has this week's honorable mention. Honorable mention award this week goes to Joey Wentz, the 21-year-old pitcher acquired in the Shane Green trade. He's been pretty solid in his first two starts with Erie. Ten innings pitched, uh, three runs, 15 strikeouts. But here's the thing. We talk about you can allow walks or you can allow hits, but you can't allow both. He's only walked two in his first 10 innings with Erie. So if he can keep that in check, he's going to be really productive moving forward. Yeah, the command was always a question with Joey Wentz. There was always this disparity. He didn't allow very many base hits. So innings were high, hits were low, but the walks were up. He always did generate swings and misses. But look, if there's one thing the Tigers know how to get the most out of, especially at that double-A level, it's pitching. They've turned Tarek Skubal into a top prospect. Joey Wentz, very similar mold to what the other guys there. I mean, what a rotation. I mean, how much fun is it to be the pitching coach if you're Mark Johnson in A Erie right now? I mean, that's just an unbelievable spoil of riches out in Erie, Pennsylvania. Joey Wentz ends up as our honorable mention this week. And in his second timeout, he almost pulled a Skubal. He went nine strikeouts in five innings. He did allow two runs on four hits, but again, generating swings and misses, something that a lot of guys in Erie have found a way to do, and they've accentuated that with the AA Erie Seawolves. People don't really talk about this with Joey Wenson. We kind of got a scent of this in our conversation with him last week. You can go back to episode 12 and listen to the conversation with Joey Wentz. But he kind of admitted, most of this year, I was still trying to get right. You know, he had an oblique injury last year. And when you're a pitcher with an oblique injury, that is a very hard injury to show your best stuff. I think he's finally healthy, and he's finally showing that ability with AA Erie. So that's really good news because, look, the Tigers need more position player prospects. We've talked about this until we've been blue in the face. But 
you know, at the end of the day, if you have good pitching on a nightly basis, you will have a chance to win a ball game. doesn't matter if you have a great offense because a great offense doesn't guarantee you anything. A great offense can go out and score six or seven runs every single night, but if your pitching staff is giving up nine or ten runs, it doesn't matter how good your hitters are. If you have a good pitcher on the mound on one particular night, guaranteed you have a chance to win that ball game. So congrats to Matt Manning. He's best in class. Congrats to Joey Wentz. The honorable mention, courtesy of his new teammate in AA Erie, Dylan Rosa. All right. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. Well, you think about iconic minor leaguers. I don't know if you can find anyone more iconic than Mike Hessman. 433 home runs, a modern-day minor league record. Hess joins us now. He's from the Toledo Mud Hens. He's their hitting coach. Have you ever considered running for office in Toledo? <laughs> no, but uh, I've had some pretty good years in that city, so it's a great place to be back. Thanks for having me on. I love your story. I mean, it's just a, an unbelievable backstory, your minor league career. You were so long in it. You obviously got a chance to taste the big leagues. But I was reading up on you today, and one of the things that I never knew about you was your draft day story. I saw that you got picked in the 15th round by Atlanta. Everybody knows that stuff. But the story about how they try to sign you at your house and you tell them, sure, I'll sign, but I got this fishing trip coming up next week. (laughs) Craziest part was that they let you go on it. Do you remember that trip, and are you still in touch with those guys you went on the trip with? I'm still in touch with those guys. I just spoke to them last week, uh, some of them. Uh, One of them, it was his birthday on the uh, 12th, so I shot him out a little happy birthday. Um, And the other guys I still keep in contact with, um, some of them have visited me in South Carolina where I make my home now. And uh, we still do some hunting and fishing together. So uh, really close friends, had an absolutely unbelievable trip, man. We caught, I mean, just crazy amounts of fish down there. So it was uh, well worth it. Hunting, fishing, golfing. Which of those three are you doing the most of during an off season? Uh, probably, probably hunting now. Since I moved to South Carolina, uh, some good friends of mine have got me into it. And uh, you know, when our season's over with, it, it rolls right into hunting season, uh, which is <clears throat> awesome. So that's kind of got me uh, hooked right now. Obviously, I still get out on the links. Uh, the guys that I do some baseball stuff with back in the off season. Um, at the facilities that I work out of, um, they're big golfers, so we always try to make a uh, make some time to get on the links as well. I know that you kind of have a little bit of time between the end of your season and then fall instructs. So between that time, are you kind of the, I want to unplug and just totally get away from baseball, or are you still doing stuff on the side? Uh, I usually try to take a couple weeks and unplug and just uh, wind down from it, you know, kind of look back at the year and see what went on, um, ways that I can get better and help the kids get better. Um, But it's a long season, so you definitely need that time to just kind of clear the mind, reset a little bit, and then uh, whatever the next venture is, you get ready for that to to go into that. So uh, whether it be instructs, I did the fall league one year as well. So, um I really haven't had an offseason where I've just gone home yet and just kind of been there. It's either instructs or the fall league or something like that. So it's uh, more or less year-round. I mean, obviously we get a few months off and stuff, but there's constant stuff going on to uh, keep me busy, that's for sure. 
Well, your playing career and the story behind that is well documented, but I want to hear about the coaching story. Who came to you about the idea of coaching, and what did you say? And did you have to delay another fishing trip is my question. <laughs> no, I didn't delay any uh, any fishing trips. I still, uh, I'm to the point where I need a paycheck now. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I've always wanted to stay in the game. Um when I was playing, you know, towards those uh, last couple of years that I played, I could tell that I, you know, wanted to stay in the game, stay in uh, pro ball. Um, you know, it started with conversations with Larry Parrish and Toledo, um, my manager that I had there for quite a few years. Um, and then I bounced and left Toledo and bounced around for a few years. I had another manager in Louisville, Jim Riggleman, uh, who I, I learned a lot from him as well. Um, me and him had some discussions about coaching as well. Um, and then I finished up my career back in the Detroit system and I was back with LT again and, uh, had some, uh, conversations kind of with the front office and stuff with Dave Owen, our head of player development. And, uh, I talked to him as well, knowing that, Hey, we're getting pretty close to that time. And, uh, he said, well, we know we're obviously not going to push you, but you let us know when that time has come. And we'll sit down and discuss a few things, and hopefully something can work out. So, um, very familiar with the people in Detroit, the organization, the people involved. Um, so it was a pretty easy transition, sliding from finishing up my career in the system, and then sliding right into a coaching position. You know, what's crazy is that you know you started in Connecticut. That was 2016, and then ever since you've gone. West Michigan, then up to Erie, and now Toledo. And I think everybody kind of felt that, you know, you were a fit for Toledo long ago. But, you know, obviously you're moving up so fast. I mean, it's amazing how quick you moved up the ladder. And the coolest thing is that you've moved up almost in sync with a very similar group of people. So if you don't mind, i just kind of like to go over some of these hitters because a lot of people want to know what's going on with some of the guys, especially under your stewardship in Toledo. Are you cool with that? Yeah, that's fine. Jake Robson and Danny Woodrow. I'd like to start there because since you became a coach, they've been almost at the exact same level that you've been at. They followed you almost from the very beginning. Now, I know you didn't teach them how to run fast, but take me <laughs> back to where they were when yeah. you began working with them and where they are now. Uh, Robson, man, both of those guys, man. I love both of those guys. They, they come to the ballpark every day prepared, ready to work, ready to get better. Um, Robson's got that little—I'm not going to say chip on his shoulder, but he's got a little fire into him. Where he's hot and he's rolling, and he plays with his hair on fire. He brings some energy. He hustles like no other. Um, you know, same thing with Woodrow. These guys are table setters. They're obviously completely different hitters than what I was. <laughs> they put the ball in play and, and run and burn and cause havoc out there. Steal bases, um, can take hits away out in the outfield. So. Definitely a whole different uh, animal as far as their approach and their swing compared to what I was doing as a player. But uh, it's been an absolute blast working with them, and it's fun to see them kind of grow as the years go on. You know, they obviously came right out of college when we got them. And uh, like you said, then kind of climbing the ladder with them as well. And uh, it's fun to watch them develop and see some adjustments that they make and uh, continue to do that as well. How important is that continuity? I would assume the mental side is such as is just as important. Yeah, and just kind of letting them know, like, hey, I'm here for you guys, whatever you need. Um, you know, check in. Heck, it, it could be stuff that's on or off the field. Knock on wood, these guys got a really good head on their shoulders. We haven't had to deal with any of those issues or anything like that. But 
um, yeah, like you said, it's developing the relationships over time, over the years, and uh, not going to want to feel really comfortable around them as far as if I need to bring something to their attention. And likewise, I, I hope that they know that my door is open as well for them to uh, ask me anything that's uh, on their mind or different thoughts or ideas on their swing or approach to the game or what, whatever the situation may be. One of the guys I wanted to ask you about is Daz Cameron. He's another guy you've had now for a couple of years. It's been a down year for Daz. Help us put that into some perspective. Um, well, yeah, I, I believe Daz is only 22 years old right now. And uh, I had him for the first time last year in Erie for uh, maybe two months, two and a half months, if that. And then he was off to Toledo. Um, so this kid's 22 years old. He jumped three levels last year. So... When they move that quick, um, you know, it's only a matter of time before kind of time catches up with them and the level catches up with them. So this year I think has been a huge learning year for Daz uh, as far as you're seeing some guys that have been in the league for a little bit. You've seen guys that have been in the major leagues that have come down that got a little more savvy to them and, and have a better game plan and approach as far as how to attack a hitter, um, how they're going to pitch you if they show – a weakness, they're going to keep exploiting it until you can kind of patch it up and cover it and force them to move on to somewhere else. So, um, Daz looks the part. He's athletic. He's he got a lot of things going for him right now. And I just think it's one of those years where it's like, okay, we're, we're hunkered in here in AAA. And it's just one of those learning experiences where he's going to develop, uh, you know, game plan approaches, how the pitchers are starting to attack him and uh, work him, you know, kind of that game within the game that, uh, you know, sometimes takes a little more time figuring out. There's a lot of people talking about wanting Daz Cameron up in the major leagues out of spring training this past year. In hindsight, probably the right move to send him over to Toledo. Now, Willie Castro, he's having his best year as a professional with your help. What adjustments did he make? Well, he came into spring training. He got stronger in the offseason. I know he put a few pounds on and uh, got stronger. He's got some great bat speed, good hand-eye coordination. You talk about kind of pure hitters, and they just somehow find a way to get hits. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're just you're, you're amazed at how he can scratch a hit out here or there, you know, which is uh, obviously a good thing for, for the offensive and hitting side of it. So he finds a, a, he's got a knack for finding his ways to uh, get his hits. Um, switch hitter, a little more power from the right-hand side of the plate. Um but, uh, yeah, it's been fun to watch him develop all year and, and to have a uh, pretty solid year. I'm always fascinated by guys who have the ability to really succeed at the AAA level, but they get to the big leagues, and it's like they're a whole different player. Now, I know everybody's different, but typically, what are some of the reasons for that? I mean, it's a whole different ball game once you get up to the show. Well, it is. It's a whole different ball game. You know, the stadiums are bigger. There's an extra – two sections on top of every stadium. The lights are brighter, more people. Uh, competition's obviously a lot better. They don't make as many mistakes as they do up there. So there's definitely that kind of learning curve of getting comfortable and kind of being able to relax and kind of just let the wind out of the sails and just whoo, take a deep breath and say, okay, I, I belong here. Let's go about my business. Uh, a lot of guys will try to do too much because they get there and then they want to impress right away and then they end up kind of getting outside of their game plan. So, um, again, I was one of those type of guys. I felt like I had to get a hit every at bat when I had my chance up there. And, uh, you know, probably the wrong way to go about it, which I'm glad I know that now, you know, trying to pass that along to the other guys. But um, just to go about the same routine and same 
approach to the game as they've been doing. That's what got them there in the first place. So it's just that, you know, like I said, that kind of that adjustment period that they got to go in there and finally say, okay, I belong here. I'm relaxed. Okay, let, let's get after it, you know. And then the really good ones, you know, they don't have to deal with that because they're just that good and that special uh, in the game. But there is definitely a little adjustment period. Um, you know, those pitchers with all the data that's out there, they, they already know where your holes are before they see you two, three, four times through. So um, definitely a game of adjustments. And uh, like I said, when they're young, uh, you know, I know it's not the case all the time, but it's nice to see them get kind of a steady stream of ABs as well so that they can kind of get comfortable. Um, I know it's tough playing every two or three days, sit three or four, get play a game here or there. So kind of hard to get a good rhythm going in. Um, that way some guys are pretty darn good at it some guys it's a different world for them because they're used to playing every single day down in the minor league so uh, just some adjustments you know obviously you got to grind through and figure out how to uh, stay within yourself and, and just approach it how you've always approached the game Mike Hessman joins us here on the road to Detroit. You know, a lot has been made about the change in baseballs used at the AAA level. Does Mike Hessman, the player, wish that he could have played with these baseballs that they're using this year? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. I wish I was hitting those suckers, that's for sure. <laughs> Go to a Toledo Mud Hens game. Go out to left field. You'll see the famous Hessman home run alley. It's printed right there on the wall. By the way, how cool is that? pretty awesome man I, I never expected anything uh like that uh, as far as how my career went or anything but uh, like i said toledo kind of holds a little special place in my heart and in my career and uh pretty awesome that they would do something like that put my name on the uh, wall out there so extremely uh grateful to them for uh you know obviously the opportunity and the, and the decision they've made to uh kind of name that fence and that alley out there for me Shout out to the guys in Toledo. Mike Hessman, the hitting coach of the Toledo Mudhens and somebody who is very popular in minor league lore. Thank you so much for joining us. Good stuff and good luck the rest of the season with Toledo. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Four August appearances with the Hens, and he gave up nine runs over those four appearances. This one cracked to deep center field. On the run is Derek Hill at the warning track. Leaps up at the wall, and Derek Hill brought it back. What a play by Derek Hill in center field. And he robs Alex Cole. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. You just heard that catch by Derek Hill from Friday night's 5-1 to Erie Seawolves victory over the Akron Rubber Ducks. Great gain. You made the call. He joins us now. Did you realize how good of an outfielder Derek Hill was before you got him? Yeah, you know, we, we knew we were going to get a good outfielder in him. I don't think we could truly appreciate it until you see it every day. Uh, he, he just makes tough plays look routine on a nightly basis. And quite frankly, our outfield is just unbelievable here with, with Hill, with Azokar, with Cam Gibson. Uh, all three of them, it's just, you know, who's going to make the next great play? And it seems like it's every night. You know, it's a testament to the defense of, of this club. We're, I believe now we're number two or three in the league defensively. Uh, and it's just been all season long, play after play, that those guys have made. And it's such a, a help to our pitching staff. And even when those guys aren't having a great night, to have the ability to be able to make some mistakes and keep it in the ballpark, and those guys just go out there and make plays. So it's been, uh, it's been a treat. 
You know, it's crazy to think that Derek Hill, of all the great pitchers you have, it's probably Derek that leads your team in Twitter highlights. We're talking to Greg Gagne. Let's begin with the start by Casey Mize on Saturday night. A no decision, but got back to some of the stuff that made him better, especially before he started to go down with that shoulder. Yeah, you know, Casey's been hit or miss uh, since he got back to double A, and it's been kind of an every other start. Through a quality start on Saturday night, um, you know, he dominated early, and, and that seems to be the, the trend with his starts where he comes out of the gate on fire. Uh, set down the first nine, gave up a leadoff double in the fourth, and then uh, that's how Akron got its first run. Uh, gave up a, a single to follow that, uh, and then a hit by pitch, and then got the side in order. Got the side in order in the fifth. Uh, just ran into trouble in the sixth, and, and really that was the, the lone blemish on his night. He retired the first two out in the sixth inning. Then gave up a two-out double, lots of air bitters, gave up a single, and then Cam Gibson cut down the, the run of the plate to keep the ball game tied. But uh, look, Casey, not as sharp as he was early in the season, uh, and, and I think it's you know it's funny because uh, I think he started six and zero, and we had won eight of his first nine starts, and you know how it is with the the, the Twitter folks where it's like, oh, he needs to be in Detroit, and you know you, you just kind of have to tell people that hey, let's pump the brakes a little bit. He hasn't really experienced any type of failures. And after the injury, came back and started to experience some failures. And, you know, I think that's all a part of development. You can't just dominate every time you go out uh, and expect that's going to translate to the big leagues right away. And so I think that, you know, the struggles have probably been, you know, no one wants to see anyone struggle, but the struggles have probably will help Casey in the long run. Uh, and the teams he has struggled against, quite frankly, are the teams that go up there that aren't really good offensively. They just go up there and they hack. And, I, and those teams are the ones that have tended to give him the most trouble. Uh, Binghamton, who's a Mets affiliate, Blue Jays affiliate did it, and then the Giants affiliate, who's got the worst team in the league. Uh, they got to Casey twice this season. And so it's been the type of teams that just go up there and they hack. Uh, the teams that kind of wait back and try and get their pitch, and that really turns the tables into my favor. Uh, and he's able to really dissect those types of teams that are more patient at the plate. You know, I'm glad you mentioned people saying that they wanted some of these guys up in Toledo. Do you get the impression that the Tigers want to leave most of that core in double-A the rest of the way? Some guys have pitched well enough to get promoted, but maybe there's incentive to keep that ball club together. Yeah, I, I think if anybody were – I mean, Matt Manning's probably the most deserving. I mean, he's 11-4. and four. Uh, He's coming off of four straight quality starts. He's looked dominant. Uh, they gave him a little bit of a rest right around the All-Star break where he had, I think, 10 or 12 days in between starts. Uh, and I think that really rejuvenated him, and he's been lights out ever since. But quite frankly, I don't know if there's a real need to move those guys right now. You know, they've they got a good thing going in Erie, and uh, I know, you know, we see it every day. Why aren't these guys in Toledo? Why aren't they in Detroit? And there's something to be said about winning as a group. And you guys have had that in West Michigan, Dan, and you know, we haven't had it as frequently here. Uh, but the last time we had a, a really good club in Erie was probably the, the 2013 team that made the playoffs. That team won the championship in Lakeland the prior year. They moved them up together as a group. And quite frankly, the Tigers are in the spot they are in Detroit. These guys aren't going to help the big league club right now. And so let these guys experience winning together and having they have a great clubhouse. Clubhouse is probably the best I've ever seen uh, out of a 25-man roster where everybody gets along. It's a fun-loving group. And they play well together, and they feed off each other. Uh, and I think that's important because you have to learn how to win in the minor leagues. And you look at some of these organizations that have had success in the minor leagues, such as Houston, Tampa, 
Cleveland for a long time. They kept teams together. They moved guys up as a bunch, and then they were successful in the big leagues together. And I think there's, you know, winning is a huge part of development, and uh, th- this team is is proving that right now. Well, talk to me about the innings limits because that might be the only thing getting in the way of this core finishing the year. Which guys are getting close, and how does that impact the potential Erie playoff run? They're being very careful with uh, with a lot of the starting pitching right now. Uh, Tarek Skubal is probably the closest to his innings limit. I'm, uh, I haven't been privy to that uh, what that final number is, and you know, obviously, if if we end up being fortunate enough to get into the playoffs. Uh, I think that you know there's probably some wiggle room, and that happened with us in 2013 with Drew Verhagen, where um, you know he was at his limit, and basically they said, well, you know, he can go three to five innings in his in his start in the playoffs. So uh, that's always subject to change. Uh, but Tarek's the, the closest one. He, he missed his last start. He'll start again on Sunday for Erie. Um, and uh, other than that, there's really no pending one. Uh, Joey Wentz is, is probably going to. Uh, he's up over a hundred innings already from his time in Atlanta. So they, they might need to skip him um, a, a starter or two down the stretch. Uh, ideally, you know, and, and Erie had a tough blow on Saturday night with a loss with a chance to gain ground, but you know, in a perfect world, if they could somehow, if they get to the playoffs and can wrap it up without having to throw some of these guys, the last four games of the season in Akron, I think that's the perfect scenario right now. Uh, yeah. But it's just kind of a touch and feel situation right now of, of when to pull guys, when not. Mark Johnson. I wouldn't want to be Mark Johnson, and I wouldn't want to be A.J. Saker right now uh, because those two guys have probably arguably the toughest jobs in the organization trying to manage the innings limits on these guys. Now, you mentioned Tarek Skubal. Now, just to clarify, did he miss his last start? Was that a planned skip of Skubal? Yeah, yeah, that was planned. Uh, no, no issues at all. It's just, uh, just watching innings right now. Now, Scoobles into the top 100 on MLB Pipeline. I know you've seen him enough now to at least know how to fun pitcher he is to watch. He's really fitting well with you guys. What's the biggest reason from your vantage point? Well, he when he throws strikes, he's lights out. Guys can't hit him. Uh, and he can throw 98 from the left side, and that's pretty special. Uh, he had one start where he walked six, but ended up striking out 10 anyway. Uh, it's been just an incredible joy to watch him pitch, and you know, oftentimes it kind of bucks the trend where, you know, yeah, the, the, the thought process of you have to pitch down to get strikeouts. He's a guy that pitches up, and he gets swings and misses on his fastball up and out of the zone. Um, I, I think that as he progresses, he's going to start to have to throw the changeup a little more and the curveball a little more uh, and, and learn how to pitch at the professional level. And right now it's just on pure stuff, and he's got really, really good stuff. And when you can throw a fastball that goes from 96 to 98 and then you can drop in a curveball in the low to mid-80s, then that's, that's pretty devastating, and hitters are having a hard time with him. You know, your second half has been ridiculous. Erie's got a back half record of 40 and 16, a two-game lead over Bowie. Last time we talked, you had mentioned that Erie just simply didn't have enough offense coming from just about anybody. Has that been the biggest change, or is there anything else that you've noticed with this, at least in the second half? I think bullpen consistency in the second half has been huge. The bullpen's been great down the stretch. Uh, tough night for Nolan Blackwood gave up a leadoff home run that just get, got over the wall and uh, on, on Saturday night. Uh, but Drew Carlton has been phenomenal. I believe now he's 16 of 16 in save chances. Guy who's really flown under the radar. He doesn't throw hard. He just goes out there and gets out every night. Uh, the offense has gotten tremendously better. Uh, Isaac Reddit has found consistency at the plate. Uh, about two weeks ago, he set a franchise record where he had 
seven consecutive multi-hit games. Um, Jose Azokar has just been phenomenal. Leads the league in hits. Uh, he's second in the league in average. And he just goes up there. He leads the team with 39 multi-hit games. And he's been the biggest key, I think. Those two probably really getting consistency has been the big key uh, in the second half. And then getting contributions top to bottom uh, in, in the lineup. And Derek Hill has been much better at the plate in the second half. He's walking more. Uh, and it's just a, it's a top-to-bottom thing where, you know, it's next man up every night. If one guy struggles, somebody else picks him up. Um, you know, unfortunately, on Saturday night, uh, Jose left the game with an injury. Uh, and so we're kind of waiting to see what the prognosis is there. And hopefully it doesn't mean a stint on the injured list, especially this time of year, uh, with as good of a hitter as he is. Uh, we lost Sergio Alcantara to a hamstring injury. Uh, and still no timetable on his return. Uh, so the injury bug is, is biting us at the wrong time. Alex Light has had a little bit of a back issue. He's been on the IL. Uh, so we're just kind of, you know, trying to, Trying to not limp to the finish is the big thing. Jose Azokar heading over 290 in double A this season. Meanwhile, on the mound, the steady Eddie of your rotation, Matt Manning, who, by the way, wore those sick Futures game cleats from the TV show The Office, has been <laughs> unbelievable. He does love The Office. So now he's been outstanding for you guys. I mean, from start to finish, I would assume that Matt Manning probably sits near the top of the list for what you've seen from the beginning to where you guys are now. Yeah, I mean, it's been consistent all year long. And I'm I'm looking at his stat line right now. He hasn't given up more than three runs, uh, three earned runs in a start since April 30th. Uh, So that's how good he's been over a sustained period of time. Um, you know, again, he, he's, he's, you can see the development as the season has worn on and he is just, he, he, he's owning it on the mound right now. And that's been fun to watch. Uh, he's done, a, I want to say now it's three of his past four quality starts and his last start only went five innings. And, and the only reason he went five innings and it was dominant allowed just one hit, uh, was because at the end of the day, they, they need to watch those innings. And so, uh, he still has plenty of innings to go, but you don't want to be in a situation where, uh, if we do make the playoffs and, and are fortunate enough to advance, you don't want to have a Matt Manning on a limited pitch count. So uh, the fact that he went five last time, he could have gone the, uh, he could have thrown a complete game in his last start. He was back. You talk to him at all about those office cleats. Do you watch that show? I don't watch it. I, I have actually never watched The Office, um, and I've heard nothing but good things. I've just actually never sat down to watch it. But yeah, Matt. I mean, literally every time he's on the mound. Uh, he's very loose before his starts and just sits there and laughs. And that's the kind of guy he is. And, uh, you know, then he puts his gay face on and goes and dominates. There's some people that listen to heavy metal music, and there are some people that go watch Michael Scott run the Dunder Mifflin <laughs> Scranton branch. The newly engaged Greg Gagne, congrats to you, your fiance, Thank Megan. You. Thanks again. Tell your guys to go throw another no-hitter tomorrow, will you? I tell you what, we've been close uh, twice. We've had uh, we had the two no hitters, and then we've had two one hitters. So uh, it's like I said, it's been fun. I, I hope this team can can get it done down the stretch. We have 16 games to go, two game lead, huge missed opportunity on Saturday night. But uh, the one constant of this team is they've been able to bounce back all year long, uh, and uh, you know I, I'm hopeful that this gets done down the stretch. A lot of eggs in that Erie basket. Greg Gagne, the radio voice of Erie Seawolves baseball. Thank you again for joining us, my man. All right, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Anytime. 
Now it's time for the road ahead. Let's take a look at everything the Tigers minor league affiliates have coming up this week. You know, we are officially down the home stretch here in 2019, about three weeks worth of the regular season for just about all the full season affiliates and some of the short seasons as well. Not a whole lot of time left, even with some of the records of some of these affiliates not being up to, I'm sure, where the Tigers want it there's still a lot left to play for. You want to finish on a high note. You want to take momentum into 2020. To me, the Tigers have really challenged a lot of guys with harder level assignments. I mean, in past years, the draft class of a particular season wouldn't go any higher than short season New York Penn League. Connecticut is where the Tigers draftees usually would finish their season, and then they would start the following year in Class A, usually West Michigan, sometimes in Lakeland. But this year, the Tigers have decided to take almost all of their top 10 rounds worth of draft picks and put them straight to West Michigan. Granted, there's been a little time in Connecticut. Essentially, they're saying, this is where we're going to have you next year. Why don't you figure it out right now? There's an opportunity because there's playing time available, and we can give you an idea of the level of pitching or the level of hitters that you'll face coming into next season. So if nothing else, it gives them an idea of what they have to work for as they go into 2020. By the way, that's not the short season to full season leagues. That's a look at just about every level. Guys will come up, they'll get a cup of coffee at a different level later in the season. Just give them a little idea of what they're in for coming up next year. As for Connecticut, they start a three-game series at Lowell on Saturday. Then it's off to Brooklyn for a four-game stretch. West Michigan takes on Lake County for four games at home this weekend. Then they hit the road to face the Great Lakes Loons. Which lake is the greatest, anyway? I like Lake Michigan. Eerie. You would say that. <laughs> Over to Lakeland. They start a six-game stretch on Friday. First, they take on Bradenton before three against Jupiter. As for those Seawolves, three at home against the Akron Rubber Ducks and a three-game stretch at Richmond. Last but not least, Toledo takes on Pawtucket on the road for three. Then they come home to face the Indianapolis Indians. That's a look at the on-ramp. Hey. This has been fun. We really enjoy bringing this to you every single week. You know, up until this season, we have not had a chance to share the stories of these minor league players with you because the best part is now some of these guys are starting to make it into the major leagues. We've talked about Jake Rogers, and that's just the tip of the iceberg because there's so many guys that are going to be in Detroit sooner than later. But this is where we tell you their story. This is where you get the chance to meet them. So. Do us a favor, hit that subscribe button. It helps us out tremendously. Feel free to rate the show. Feel free to review the show. Gives us an idea of what you like about the show. Maybe gives us an idea of some things you'd like to see the show continue to do. In the meantime, follow the Road to Detroit on Twitter, at Road to Detroit. You can follow me as well at that Dan Hasty on Twitter. Again, that's that, D-A-N-H-A-S-T-Y. But click subscribe if you do anything. And that'll do it for this edition of the Road to Detroit podcast. Our thanks to Mike Hessman, the hitting coach of the Toledo Mudhens. Nobody knows not only the guys in Toledo like Mike Hessman does, but really all the position players throughout the entire Tigers minor league system. He's seen just about everybody who we're hoping makes an impact on the offensive side with the Detroit Tigers. So our thanks to Mike Hessman. That's it for episode lucky number 13 for our producer, Nate Wangler. I'm Dan Hasty. Until next time. See ya!